Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a United States-based episode of the podcast. Um, fun fact, Rion, this is, I'm also now realizing this because I, I think I called this out like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. This is, I believe, officially our 170th episode uh, of The Overlap. So it's been over three years. That's actually crazy. It's been oh, over, wow, like yeah. summer 2019 yeah. is when we started. So it's been officially over three years. Um, yeah, we, we have still not found anything better to do with our free time. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been in between pandemics, um, multiple viruses, uh, world affair issues, and we still somehow decided that this is what we're going to do with our time. Uh, so, yeah, well, three awesome years going on now the fourth, which like if you think about it, we're in our senior year of when we started. Like this is our fourth. Like that's just weird to me. Like we've been through almost a full college cycle of doing this, but 170 is just nuts. So thank you, I guess, to everybody who's watching, listening, and uh, supporting. But we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. I'm I'm jet lagged as hell. I got back last night from my vacation, and I'm still I'm still feeling it. Like Rihanna can see behind me. I have bags <laughs> that have just not been unpacked. Um, but I'll get to them later tonight. But how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it was a very like wholesome family weekend for me. I went down to Maryland for like a family. Someone turned 90 in my family and a uh, big old uh, little family, like a like a mini family reunion, pretty much. Amazing. So that was really nice. Yeah. But, no. What? No hot girl summer for you? You're not feeling uh, it? <laughs> no, I did. I did all that stuff in like June and, and July, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and August has been all like trying to furnish an apartment. Yeah, that, where I had so little stuff coming into it. So like now it's like I'm, I'm hoping I'm working from home the next two weeks. So I'm hoping that I get that time to like make the place feel more homey uh but we'll see how that goes yeah i mean listen furnishing an apartment as as you know from everything i've tried with mine takes time like it, t- it took me like six months to go settle in this place so yeah give it some time but you'll get there and honestly i'm I'm excited to come by and watch it uh, not watch it see it but when i do hopefully um, we get to watch stuff while you're here yeah hopefully we get to watch them yeah yeah seriously i mean <laughs> i don't know you still don't have your like stanford prison experiment type tv no, set up, right no i don't i have a couch <laughs> okay. now, so i'm at least Thank sitting God. down watching it <laughs> the next Thank step God. is getting my my task rabbit to come and like mount the tv beautiful beautiful oh i'll do that for you are you kidding i like i'll swing by and do it i have to do it in my place. actually i mean that'd be yeah it's not uh, hard well yeah you know I'll, we'll talk offline <laughs> we'll get to that we'll get to that in the non-recorded part of the podcast but anyway um what else is up what else is up in the world um oh you know what was funny the one thing that uh, during vacation was really interesting to me this is not soccer related but hearing and watching like england and uk and like french coverage of the fbi raiding trump's home was hysterical (laughs) because like in the u.s obviously we have like multiple mainstream cable networks that all have their own biases and we all kind of know that but in the uk and france like everything is just so 
like straightforward and factual at least they try to present it as such like there are biases there's no escaping that but it's more like factual and direct and so like the questions that were being asked while i was watching some tv there was just like so mr and mrs expert like why do you think that the fbi did what they did and then there's just like long really like complex and really thought out process from some expert on tv and then the journalist or the pundit goes ah Okay, thank you for that. So on to the next one. And you're just like, okay, there's just no debate. It's just, it kind of is. So that's the only other thing that I'll mention, which is just really funny to me. Um, taking a more global view of things. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah BBC is all, uh, BBC was one that I went to um, like pretty, pretty heavily the day of the, uh, the insurrection. Because just I was like, I'm so fascinated to see what other people are saying about this. That it was, yeah, it was, yeah. They are very straightforward with it. It's just kind of like the facts. This is what's yeah, happening. it's just black and white. Yeah, and everyone else like come up with their own thoughts. Um, yeah, <laughs> which I think it's just I think it's just super compelling. But yeah, but anyway, yeah. neither here nor there. Um, you want to talk football? You want to talk about the I first? Would love to. Well, we'll talk about the second match day in England. Uh, by the way, I think I'm destroying everybody in fantasy Premier League. Um, just completely not tooting my own horn and uh we'll talk about everything in the second match day and we'll also talk about the first match day in the league over the next however many minutes we go on so Ryan, let's start in england let's start with our game of the weekend in england a game that i was able to watch the first 20 minutes of and then my plane took off and then i just couldn't watch anything else turn my plane or my phone on um mid-flight just to check wi-fi and see if i could even get any and uh saw the score saw the uh the way things ended and saw of course the um how do you say let's let's just call them comments towards a certain anthony taylor um let's start let's start at the beginning of this game i'm actually very curious to just get your thoughts on how you thought chelsea lined up because i think with the absence of kovacic there obviously have to have to be some pretty impactful changes in that midfield, I'm just curious, like when you when you saw this lineup and you saw, let's, I mean, not to call out names, but Ruben Loftus Cheek, for example, starting this game. How did you, how did you feel about the lineup overall? Lineup overall, I felt fine, and like I, I think what you kind of saw was Chelsea trying to combat the that counterattack from from Tottenham, and if we're just looking at the first half, and in a way, this game kind of kind of a game of two halves almost but but really a game of first half Chelsea pretty dominant second half Tottenham were at least able to make things more even after something on Richarlison like the the first half was was really good from from a Chelsea point of view I, I think compared even to you know how my comments from last week on uh, how that Everton game went, where it was just kind of weird um, and, and pretty flat. But this week, if we're just looking like first half, it was, wasn't an unfamiliar story. If you're a fan of Chelsea, where they were totally dominant in that first half, but they still weren't able to fully capitalize on that dominance in, in terms of goals and in terms of creating really high quality chances even with that said they outshot spurs eight to two they had 20 touches in the in the penalty area against spurs five in that first half and then 
again, when what I'm saying about they don't they didn't capitalize to the full extent, the difference in XG was still only 0.41 to 0.23 from Tottenham. So Chelsea weren't able to convert a lot of like that midfield dominance um, into attacking dominance necessarily. I know they do end up getting a goal in that first half and being up one. Um, what like a great volley from from Koulibaly, by the way, just to call that out. Yeah, I just want to point out he is also on my fantasy prem team. Um, so that that was a big help. But <laughs> but I, I I completely agree with what you're saying about kind of the wasted opportunities, almost in some sense. Like I felt like again, I was only in, in full able to watch the first 20, 25 minutes, but I think back to a chance that Sterling had on down the left hand side where he cut in from the left seemingly had about two great windows to take basically take a shot off and didn't take that opportunity eventually spurs had numbers back something that i thought spurs did not do well in that first half was work through those transitions from attack to defense at all like i thought they were very poor and I think what we saw a lot of success with Spurs last season was in their kind of the opposite, right? The transition from defense into attack, right? That's, there's a reason why Sun and Kane had such a special partnership, especially in the second half of that season. This game, I thought everything from attack to defense was really, really sluggish from Spurs. And I don't know if there's one specific player that I'd kind of call out. I, I thought this kind of goes back to like my question with the Chelsea lineup. I thought Chelsea had more numbers in midfield. And I thought that was yeah. in some ways just an overload of the midfield. And that like alluded to a sense of strength, alluded to a sense of speed that dominated Spurs. Whereas you felt like in transition, again, Spurs were caught out a number of times in that first half. Yeah. Uh, like the, the counter press from Chelsea was great. And uh, they really didn't like part of that was they didn't allow Spurs to get out. They were on Kane every single time the ball was played up to him um they really gave him and son no space at all and and um, as i think tuchel and, and probably a couple of other chelsea players said after the game like that was one of their main focuses coming into the game was not allowing that um ability for spurs to counter attack against them uh like chelsea ended up having seven high turnovers in that game which is possessions that started within this 40 meter radius of, of the, of the goal. And then in terms of like passes per defensive action, they Spurs were getting about six passes off before either uh, uh, an interception or even a foul from Chelsea happened in that first half. The the one that comes to mind is Reese James taking his yellow card against Sun, where he's just yeah, like, you know what? Yeah. I'm not letting this happen. And just, grabs <laughs> his, just fully grabs it with two arms. It's like, let's just stop this here. Um, <laughs> that, that was, the, you could see that was really a part of the game plan for Chelsea. And then second half, as you'd expect, Antonio Conte, he didn't make the changes exactly at halftime but when Richarlison subs on in the 57th minute they change their formation right they're still down one um and they just go more aggressive and they change to basically like a 4-2-4 where uh Richarlison is like is just pressing way higher up they're just getting they're more more men forward and creating their own overloads in midfield um I think you saw Kane probably drop drop even deeper during that time as well and it, it worked out for for Spurs, in terms of like the overall balance of the game from there, before we get on to the refereeing decisions, overall balance of the <laughs> game was was 
closer in that once with Charleston came on, like Spurs outshot Chelsea seven to six. Um, they Chelsea lost possession of the ball more times than Spurs during that during that period, which was the opposite in the first half. And then importantly, the Spurs won 11 aerial duels to Chelsea six during this is all from the time that Charleston subbed on. They, they won 11 aerial duels to Chelsea six, whereas in the first half they lost that battle two to six. So the change, it was a great game. If like, if you love a tactical battle, by the way, too, because yeah, yeah, they just definitely. kept switching off. Like when, when Spurs got back into the game, then you saw, uh, especially after Hoiberg's uh, goal, you saw Tuchel bring on Aspilicueta to now to then go back to the back three and put Reese James on the uh, at right wing back. And Reese James ends up getting wing, the uh, goal from that position where he's so high up and he ends up being like that extra man that Sterling finds uh, for the goal. But uh, Alexander, what, what, what did you did you? Have I, I guess any comments on like that, no it's that, it's that funny <laughs> i i didn't have many more comments than what you said because everything that i wanted to say is basically what you shared i i think the <laughs> only thing the honestly the only thing that i would potentially change is that when richarlison came on i thought that conte more mirrored tuchel's on the ball shape with mm-hmm. more you called it a 424 i felt like it was more of a 442 um, yeah. with yeah. with Kane, Son, et cetera, dropping back um, you know, when needed. Mm-hmm. But I think what that does what the th- think what that did is it goes back to the idea of those midfield overloads, right? I think Chelsea dominated that aspect of the game in the first half. And I think Conte realized that at halftime and with the substitution of Charleston and the change and the tone of the game completely shifted from there because now there's more balance in midfield. And of course, Sukel's response to that, right? Shifting to the back three, moving Reese James up. That in turn basically gave Chelsea more width. It gave um, Spurs a lot of problems with their their own back four, right? Because it then now created overloads on in wide areas, right? Which is to your point where Reese James's goal came, or, um, a ball in came from, and right, like the, those those tactical battles were really really interesting to me. So I wouldn't necessarily. Um, change anything or add anything else beyond what you what you shared um but if you want we can always talk about um the the antics at the end if you, <laughs> if, if you like if you so if you so uh dare oh yeah yeah no we have to talk about it i mean <laughs> let's but but let's start let's bring it back to like the genesis of it i guess in that game right it's it's the hoiberg goal right it's Kai Havertz pretty obviously gets fouled by by Rodrigo Betancourt and and I'm watching that game with my girlfriend as it happens I'm like okay that's a foul and then I'm like oh wait wait they're still playing huh okay <laughs> and, and 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 I think like before I before I get into like the the Anthony Taylor part of it um I'll say it right now, one great strike by by Pierre Hoiberg. And two, I'm not really upset about like the whole involvement of VAR with that goal, if I'm being honest, because as it's rightly, as people can rightly point out, Chelsea did end up like getting possession back for for like a few seconds there in the in their own box. And 
Jorginho tries this weird, this just insane kind of like flick in his own box, and of course gets dispossessed because he's like two on one. So and um and that's what leads to to the Hoiberg goal. So sticking with just that first incident, my feeling, I'd love it if the referee just got the decision correct in the moment that looked really obvious. And even if the referee himself didn't see it, there's the uh, the linesman who's also like, who's was probably possibly closer and maybe had a better view and just didn't say anything as well. Like I, I'm not upset with the VAR part of this. I, I I'm not one for. I I totally advocate for the whole. At some point, we just got to get the ball out of the area. We just we we like how much time you're giving us to deal with it. But uh, I would just like the referees to actually get one of the easier decisions of the game. Correct. Um, but, but, you know, there was an easier one later on that we'll talk about. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. There, it's it, there. There were a few uh, to say the least. I, I don't necessarily think that anything you said is, is different from how I felt about it. I, again, coming from a neutral standpoint, I think what was interesting to me, was the lack of like in, in both any of these incidents quite honestly is the lack of var going back seemingly to to review these type of incidents like i i, I genuinely don't know the answer to this but how and was var used to review these type of incidents that were very obvious like i i, I genuinely don't know the answer to that it's not even me like trolling anymore it's more like like isn't that what that that's the whole purpose of this yeah and it's and it's tough because like there's the whole phase of play thing and and i fully agree with that with you know that way of explaining this this first one yeah, there it was a new phase of play they they they'd gotten down there grant the other argument is you know would they have gotten down to the into that area at all without the missed call? And the answer is probably no. They probably like you're talking about Chelsea just gets a free kick in that spot and the ball's in the other box for the next 30, 40 seconds. But uh I I I can live with that. I can live with the fact that Chelsea did get the ball back. They had a chance to clear it. Jorginho was trying his Joga Bonito in his own box and <laughs> it didn't work. I I I'm fine with that. And and even more hilarious, he got hooked immediately after that. But it's really the uh the thing that kicks it off from the manager's point of view is that as soon as that goal happens, Antonio Conte celebrates like right by the Chelsea, like right next to Thomas Tuchel's technical area. And and um Tuchel doesn't take it well. Um and, and you wouldn't expect either of the two coaches to take that well if we're just keeping it keeping it a buck here like these are two of the most aggressive coaches in the <laughs> league like like I, I know that we talk about like, uh Pepin and Jurgen Klopp being very intense like they are very intense but these are probably the two most easily annoyable coaches for, from those like top six teams temperamental really. if you will yes great word great word but but what, what did you think of the uh of the first Conte v Tuchel moment in the game no <laughs> Well, I thought honestly, it it felt more so like I, I feel like uh what's the word I'm looking for? A personification of the intensity of the game. 
Like, that's how I felt about it. Like, it really felt like everything that had gone into the game over the last, I mean, how many minutes was it until then? 80 something? I don't um, know. It's close, to, it's close to 70 minutes. Yeah. 70. Okay. So around there. Like, it felt like the game was getting more intense, like building up to a point like that. And so, in all honesty, like, I wasn't. I wasn't as surprised by that moment as I was like by the final whistle moment. Cause that was just hysterical to me. But in that, in that kind of first interaction, like I feel like that was just the intensity of the game, which I, I can say, like, I feel like we've all kind of been there, like where you just get like a rush of adrenaline. I don't, I don't think that was on. I don't think either of those moments were a problem, honestly. Like, I don't think Agreed. like people have been talking about bands and stuff for, for both of them. Like, no, that they didn't hurt each other like there's no fists swinging that like you know what i mean yeah yeah and and, and sugal said it himself in the post-match interview too where he was like look this is he said they kept trying to get him to talk like goad him into talking about it and he was just like no no comments like this is like this is it this is how this is what's like you this is what's like out there it's really intense and he was like this is what you love to see was, yeah, was yeah, like, yeah he was like end of the day no no hard feelings no one crossed the line and uh and, and yeah i i agree it was it at the end of the day is theater like this is performance art in in a way like not even in a way this is all performance art like this is entertainment right and i think we like to see this more than more than not um just quick on the other on the other two, it's the the middle incident that really probably just made sure that that handshake thing was going to happen <laughs> at the end. Uh, the the second goal, the Reese James goal, where Tuchel runs down the touchline right past Conte and the uh, and the Spurs bench, and it, I, again, I, I turned to my girlfriend during it. I was like, he's just being, he's just trying to be a dickhead right now. <laughs> I was like, he's just trying to be an asshole. Like that is just him being an asshole. Uh, and then, then we'll, we'll end it. And we'll end this with the, uh, the handshake at the end <laughs> where, where the managers both end up getting a red card. Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte go to shake each other's hand. Tuchel, he says this after the game. You couldn't tell when it happened, but is because Antonio Conte didn't look him in the eyes while they were while they were shaking. And if and you go back to two, uh, Conte's just looking straight down as they as they shake hands. And then the still image that has been going around Twitter the last twenty four hours of Conte <laughs> like in amazement that Tuchel is still holding his hand and not letting him go. And Tuchel's like telling him, Look the memes me that have come out of that are hysterical. Oh amazing, amazing. I mean, like I said, theater. I, I, I battle of the bridge part two, and like I said on Twitter, I would I. I've got no problem seeing this for another two more games. If we can get that, at least two more. We know we'll get one more in the league, but it'd be really fun if they played each other in a, in a cup competition as well. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, uh, no one crossed the line. No one, apparently no one has said anything. No one did anything wrong. This wasn't a, this wasn't a, you know, Mourinho, Tito, Villanova, just poking someone in the eye. Like we know, like these, these guys have a bit more respect for each other um but yeah i i, I think overall we, we probably we probably loved that right 
and, and Antonio oh, Conte's part of the Instagram game. post at the, at the end of the night. I was like, this can't be fucking real. <laughs> oh my god. Honestly, uh, that's like that to me just like it helps I think all of us recognize and realize like it's all love at the end of the day. Like it's yeah. a mutual respect. Like it's really not the end of the world. <laughs> They'll take the their red card and just move on with their lives, you know. So yeah, I, I it's I, I don't don't think the red I don't think that red card at the end was necessary even. But yeah, whatever. No. I, I, they they shouldn't get anything more than one game. Like one game ban, fine. That's it's kind of stupid, but fine. Uh, they shouldn't get anything more than that, realistically. Yeah. Yeah, on to the next thing, you know. Exactly. Well, what is the next thing? Let's talk a little bit about outside of our game of the week now. What kind of surprised you the most around the Premier League um, just from match day two? Anything you want to point out? Because you seem to have, like, some sense of wisdom, like, before we started (laughs) recording that you wanted to try and share with me, and I told you no. But, like, I'm just genuinely really, really curious now. Like, what really surprised you from this weekend? Now, I think that the wisdom is going to come with my what disappointed me the most. But oh, of course, my first of surprise. Course. But for the surprise, um, this is a little, little one, and it's something that I kind of noticed in the in the first match of the season. And this has to do with Arsenal, and specifically, this has to do with Granite Xhaka. You kind of notice it in the first game of the season, but even more in their this past weekend against Leicester, Xhaka is basically playing as like an attacking midfielder. yeah like not just him like they're eights like the way that arsenal are attacking he's getting very very forward he's almost up there with uh martin Odegaard, and he ends up getting his goal this weekend and i think you know it's very very early days but he's been so heavily involved in the attack and i think a lot of it has to do with the way that arsenal position themselves in attack right they almost always have like five guys in different areas of the pitch and i'm not going to take full credit for this because i've seen other people point this out but there's almost always you have martinelli and Saka keeping the width you have uh odegaard and now granite Xhaka holding like the half spaces and then you have gabriel jesus kind of roaming around a bit to like to link it all up and and even this past weekend finish the chances himself with two goals and two assists um it's just really really interesting wrinkle that i think if you're talking about Mikel arteta someone who came from pep guardiola and someone who's probably been trying to get his teams to play a lot more like manchester city this is kind of like the next evolutionary step is jaka being pushed further up and you're seeing like i said very very early on but it's per 90 rates in um a few categories are significantly up from the last few seasons and those are the touches in the attacking penalty area shot creating actions and uh progressive passes received where like he's the guy in between the lines sometimes who's receiving the ball instead of the one playing it as as it has been in the past yeah i mean that's definitely something he did you're talking about gabriel jesus right no um uh granite Xhaka. oh okay well i was gonna say gabriel jesus certainly did that at times for mm-hmm. city um the one thing with Grant and Jaka that I think actually that surprise, I guess, observation is in some ways a massive positive, in my opinion, because I think that allows Partey to basically like play the role that he played at Atletico, which was yeah. hold down everything behind the, the, the six and the eight. 
and also probably leads to a direct reduction in number of cards for Granitjaka. So, <laughs> like, it's kind of in some ways like a win-win. Um, yeah, it is harder to get that that card when you're further up front. Yeah, I mean, other than you making tactical fouls yes. like once every two weeks, essentially yeah. for if, at his rate. Um, that's still going to be a lower number of red cards. But in, in all honesty, I, I think that is, it's probably the best thing for Arsenal. Um, I don't think Granit Xhaka is going to be the one to be playing balls over the top for Gabriel Jesus all the time. But I do think that he is, like, I, I would love to know from a statistical perspective what, where he sits. I would not be surprised if he is in a very high percentage or percentile of uh, recoveries um, per per 90 like you were you were talking about um, and I think that's what Arsenal need like quick recoveries quick closing down quick counter press um, that's clearly the the direction Arteta is going and it's working and I thought that Leicester game was in some ways nervy and a really good test for them um, just to see like what happens when they do concede do they cave in previous years probably would have seen them do that and now uh, you get the sense that things are a little different yeah it's it's a very interesting wrinkle. I, I I'm excited to see how much this develops. Um, it seems like a good short term solution. I'm guessing the long term solution is that you have someone who's more suited to be an attacking midfielder playing there. But, yeah, but yeah. but maybe that's um, Vieira that they signed over the summer. Maybe maybe that becomes him. Who knows? I don't know. I thought you were talking about Pat. Patrick never mind not Patrice anyway um <laughs> you know who would have actually been really good now that I think about it for for Arsenal just in terms of previous transfers or transfer rumors um Awar from Leon right thinking about yeah. that now I think that would have been fantastic to have him as part of that side in that position I, I was and I've seen a rumor that he might that like Nottingham Forest is going yep. after him. Yep. Yeah, that's it's just continuing <laughs> the conversation from last week where these lower table English teams are going and getting are going and getting these the, the um very good young players from around Europe. It's, this is this is this is an issue for other European clubs. <laughs> oh, don't don't you worry. I have I have thoughts. Um, I have really, really big thoughts. I'll share one very quickly. Nottingham Forest have spent over a hundred million euros this summer. I'm not sure what their outgoing, um, outgoing, uh, what's oh, called yeah, income. Yeah, the net, yeah. What looks, yeah, 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 yeah. But the, what the net is, but they spent over 120 million euros actually this season where you've had basically almost every Spanish club struggle to register signings because of La Liga's financial fair play. And they have only spent, I believe um, the newly promoted sides in La Liga have only spent about like three or 4 million euros. So like something astronomically small. So um, yeah, yeah, I have thoughts, but we'll move on around because I, I, I will go on a tangent. Let's talk about your apparent, like just, I don't know, God complex moment of a <laughs> of an answer to this question. But what disappointed you the most in the Premier League this weekend? I, I'm really okay, I'm really curious now. Oh hey, look, the, the, the team is not gonna surprise anyone here. <laughs> when I say most disappointing moments from the weekend, but the topic is just 
I am extremely disappointed that we have to keep speaking about Manchester United as if they are like anywhere close to as good as the five teams that finished above them last season. <laughs> and, and we have to act like every loss is like the nadir of Manchester United, the rock bottom. I'll what tell a you great one thing. Word. Love that. Continue. <laughs> I'm here you. for it. I'll tell you one thing. They got pumped 4 0 in one half by Brentford. And that might not be rock bottom. I'm, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we're back here next week after the Liverpool game and they have lost like 7 0 and we have to do this again. Oh, what is wrong with them? <laughs> they, they have the same team. Like, I don't know. You could put literally God as the coach there and they probably, maybe they only lose that game 2 0 at best. But like, that team is not good. And I hate that I have to keep like that every other uh, publication or every other like soccer podcast I listen I listen to. Um, they have to. They started with the United loss to Brentford, which astounding as it was, we didn't learn anything new about them in that game. David de Gea. There's a reason he hasn't started for the Spanish national team in <laughs> four years. <laughs> There's yeah. a reason. Um, I, I mean, the, the defending optional again. Um, Christian Eriksen being forced to play as like the holding midfielder in possession. Do you think he wanted to go back to last season at all to his former team? I mean... I I've, I'd love to know what lies he was told to come to <laughs> United, <laughs> and and I'd probably like to go for the same with Eric Ten Hag. What lies were he was he told when getting that job as well? I just it's, I'm just tired. <laughs> it's just tiring. It's funny. I get it's funny to watch them lose like this because they did ruin a lot of our childhoods. But well, maybe not yours, Elias. You actually kind of. Yeah, nah, maybe not for you as a Barcelona fan, but <laughs> they ruined a lot of people who are English <laughs> soccer fans' childhood. So it's funny. I get it. Yeah. And, now, and now everyone is taking the chance to get back at them for it. But I, I'm just disappointed that I have to keep acting like they are going to be remotely close to the top four this season. And they weren't last season, and it's not going to be any different. You know what's really funny just about – not basically that entire game um by the way i drove by brentford stadium um oh yesterday just i i mean not during the game but afterwards yeah. and i was like oh i just that's that's where history happened yesterday that's funny <laughs> um but what's funny about united where they are at the table etc and they're I, I tweeted about this but their next next game is against liverpool um next weekend i basically tweeted out like not to pile on but i'm very excited for this if United somehow win and beat Liverpool next weekend, they will be above Liverpool on the table. So, like, I, football is weird. So when it we is, talk about it in right. the context of top four, at this point, I can't rule Jack out. Like, I, uh, I very clearly do not think United will be a top four contender this season. I think that's already pretty obvious, but never say never. I've, I've learned that. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. And I did, I did tweet earlier today. You know, like it, the the only reason we start worrying about Liverpool is if they don't do something unholy 
to Manchester United next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, realistically. Um, obviously, we saw them draw today to Palace, and we were... T- no, we don't have enough time to talk about that game much today, <laughs> but but um, but yes, not not the time to worry about Liverpool yet. No, it's definitely not. But I basically everything around United was disappointing. Um, I'm I'm I'll ask you a question just about the disappointment, and then move on to kind of what you're looking forward to next weekend. But the last question I have for you around this is about what a year. And a month, so 13, 14 months ago, we talked about how we both kind of thought Ronaldo would make, what, maybe the side 5% better, maybe 10% yeah. better, which I think we were probably generally accurate. Right? He scored 18 goals last season in the Premier League. How we're probably much, generous. We're probably, we're probably, we're probably generous, right? But <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if you have an answer to the question of, do you think that how do I phrase this? Do you think Ronaldo makes this team percentage worse now, essentially? You know, I think, I honestly, I don't think, so. I don't think so anymore. I, I think um, it doesn't help them that Marcus Rashford hasn't looked good in like 18 months. Basically really. post-injury. Yeah. Yeah. Since he hurt his back. Right. Like, like, it, like that doesn't help. Of course. Um Really doesn't help that none of their signings in the in uh, defense have really worked out in the last three years. Um, I know I I know I went from there was a time I was saying that the the flack on Harry Maguire was a little too overstated. I think it's I think it's like swung in the direction that yeah it's probably just about right now. And I'm not exactly sure who the best person to pair him with is because Varane what that didn't work out last season and um Varane looks much different when he's not playing with Sergio Ramos <laughs> and and um and look it's very early on for Lissandro Martinez but um he did get dunked on for <laughs> for that for that yeah. third goal that Bradford scored and and that was kind of that's like the only criticism that's been coming on to him was the height stuff but yeah no I I I think they are as good as they at this point, like right, right now, uh, until they make other signings. Um, they are as good with Ronaldo as they are without him, probably. I think that's fair. I would actually argue, though, that not on the Ronaldo piece. I, I think it's more critical for United to sell and get rid of dead weight in their squad uh, than it is to make oh, yeah. signings. I oh, think yeah. that is actually more critical. And it's a harder part of of. Uh, this team's job right now is getting (laughs) as we've talked about the last like month like it is very hard to get rid of players on basically the equivalent of like max contracts like across the entire team and like the answer the question is like why would they want to move yeah they're getting a bag for doing jack so it's tough to find a team desperate to bring on players who just get absolutely thumped every week against yeah. this against any team that is remotely well organized <laughs> <laughs> that's so true that's so true oh man well anyway rian last question as it relates to the prem what are you most looking forward to next weekend we could talk about the different fixtures um i think united liverpool is obviously the the biggest one for next weekend but what are you really most looking forward to 
Yeah, that's that's obviously the biggie, the the United Liverpool game. Um, the other other few games I'm looking forward to, the Newcastle versus Manchester City, the Oil Derby or Oil Classico, <laughs> if you will. Uh, Is that what's being dubbed now? I actually had no idea <laughs> until you said that. No, I, I I think someone called the PSG Man City games the Oil Classico, and I and I think you can just roll it over for this one too. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, too real, yeah. But uh, yeah, 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 Newcastle obviously trying to emulate Man City's meteoric rise in the Premier League, and then also I'm really looking forward to another week of er- Erling Holland stat lines. This past weekend, eight touches, two shots, two one passes, assist. two passes, one of them from kickoff. And the other an assist. <laughs> you were so right in saying that he's going to have some weird stat lines this season. That is really funny. Insane. Insane. I, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and then, obviously, uh, a couple others I'm looking forward to. Palace versus Aston Villa. Two teams I expect to be fighting for top half finishes. And then Everton versus Nottingham Forest. Two teams I expect to be fighting for relegation. <laughs> for relegation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You've already made the claim that Everton are going down, which I talk to me after Christmas, basically. See how I feel <laughs> about that. Because I really don't know after watching the first two games of the season already. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm very much excited for United Liverpool. That's without a doubt the game I'm most excited for. I'm very curious and more so confused why this game is on a Monday and it is the last game yeah. of the the fixture list from the weekend in England, but I guess it's a standalone. So there you have it. But yes, very excited for that for sure. So with that, Rihanna, let's take a quick break. We'll come back, talk about La Liga, and uh, and then we'll wrap up because I need to go to sleep and I'm jet lagged. All right, Rihanna, let's talk about La Liga. I already partially bitched about the difference between <laughs> salary, not salary expectations, but more so just the differentials and spending between England and Spain. But we're not here to complain about that. We're more so here to complain about why teams in spain do what they do um so you tell me where we want to start elias you, you gotta give me your game of the week i know you had a few things a few games you were picking between um we had a couple big three no wins today with atletico madrid um getting three no win as well as real betis but you had another one in mind yeah honestly like this was, I was telling you right before we started recording, this was kind of hard to pick like what my game of the week was because Atletico won 3-0 um, against Atafe and then um, Batiste won 3-0 as well. Like it was really hard to pick basically my game of the week, but I'm actually going to select Osasuna and Sevilla, the first game of La Liga of the entire season. Osasuna winning 2-1 at home, <clears throat> excuse me, at El Sadar. And Sevilla, honestly, looking pretty lackluster, in my opinion. Osasuna had 12 shots to Sevilla's 10, five of which were on target to Sevilla's three. And quite honestly, we know, obviously, there was a penalty in the second half for Osasuna that, quite honestly, like, arguably not really a handball, um, but was called either way. And that kind of inflates kind of how you look out statistics, et cetera. But also soon having a pretty significantly higher XG to, to Sevilla's. And I think the one takeaway that I had from this game is something I mentioned to you two weeks ago. I said, when you lose your two best center backs and your two starting center backs, 
your team is going to suffer defensively, whether you replace them immediately or not. Like it's just going to be a personal change. It's going to be a structural structural change that's hard. And this is coming from a manager and a team that towards the end of last season came under a lot of fire. I've already said, I think Julian Lopetegui could be the first manager in Spain to be sacked. This does not help his case. <laughs> they sorely miss um, both Diego Carlos and Jules Koundé. And just eight minutes in, um, Ezekiel, I think it's Avia is how you actually say his name. Um, wonderful, wonderful goal to make it 1-0. And Sevilla, this entire, maybe not the entire first half, but majority of that first half really just did not look that threatening outside of a wonderful goal from Rafa Mir very, very shortly after Osasuna uh, scored. I just didn't think Sevilla looked threatening in a game where I thought they started arguably their best 11 right now. Um, I don't think that, for example, Ivan Rakitic maybe is, I guess, in Julian Lopetegui's, I don't want to say plans, but their captain may not be their their starter for right now. Um, I think what was interesting to me was really seeing Eric Lamella come on um, in this game and play not really a position that I think he's overly familiar with. Like it was like a weird hybrid of right middle center, not center midfield. Like it was somewhere in there. It wasn't entirely clear. Um, and I, I was there. I am still very excited about Eric Lamella playing um, for Sevilla. We just didn't see incredible amount of him last season due to injury, et cetera. I, I just thought Sevilla were very underwhelming. And I think what this tells me, not only are Sevilla in trouble, but it tells me that the fight for mid-table in La Liga is going to be very hard. And you look at the, the results across the entire league from match day one, I think that alone proves that point. We saw Celta Vigo draw Espanyol 2-2. You saw Barcelona draw Rayo 0-0. You saw Athletic uh, Bilbao and Mallorca draw 0-0 in I guess whatever happened to <laughs> to my to my friend, my Basque friend who used to coach my team um, and just first came back in the league in a while. Like the the mid table fight is going to be like the definition of a dog fight. Yeah, and and it's kind of something that carried on from last year when we we're talking about Sevilla, where the attack has not looked impressive for like two years now right they've, they've added some interesting pieces obviously i think without papu gomez there would be so little chance creation in 100%. that team hundred percent like who is creating the chances outside of him realistically um so it's just kind of a continuation of what felt like such a slump last the second half of last season you're still wondering how are they scoring goals like how are, like there there's their attack is so slow and boring, honestly, a lot of the times when you watch them. And yeah, it's it's a very uh it's it's very concerning that it seems like I guess part of it is like the, you know, you lose the defenders, their defending getting has gotten worse, and their attacking has not gotten any better, and their attack was already like mediocre at best. Yeah. So not yeah. a good formula. No, it really is not. And I think I, I would love to see if even you have any stats on this, but 
basically the number of I don't want to say progressive passes, but more so the number of attacks per game from Sevilla from last season. I'd love to start comparing that to how that just generally compares to the first half of the season. Cause I almost can guarantee that it's going to be, it's going to be fewer this season um, just by nature of, of the team that they have and the squad that they have as well. So yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my overall match review. And I'm not, I'm still not impressed with Sevilla this season. I, I, I'm not expecting them to make top four as I mentioned before, but if they do bring in any signings between now and the end of the season, could potentially save them. Could. And more so Julian Lopetegui's job. Yeah. But before we move on to what's surprising and disappointing you from the weekend, I think another thing just to throw in from the attack point of view that, you know, they kind of lost both defending and attacking when they lost Jules Kunde, right? That he was one of the best defenders in the league in terms of in terms of like progressive passing and carrying the ball out from the back too. like losing that is such a huge drain on their just their ability to play out um, uh, as an attacking unit too. That's a really, really good point. And to Barcelona's benefit, quite honestly, yes, of course. but, but that is a, that's a really, really good point. He was one of the best progressive center backs in the world. Um, and I mean, still is, I don't think that's changed yeah. in three months, but um, you lose that. And basically if you don't have Papu Gomez in your team, along with Rafa Mir, for example, like, I, I think it's a really, really bad situation for Savita to be in, quite honestly. I just don't see a, a path forward where they can create that many chances um, in a game. So, yeah, it's a really, really good point. All right. Well, Elias, what, what surprised you from this weekend? And uh, I'm sure it wasn't Savita's attack being. <laughs> no, no, it was not. Um Rihanna, I actually, I'm going to answer this with a question, but do you know by chance which team Alvaro Morata is contracted to right now? Like, is he on loan from Juventus via Chelsea to oh Atletico? Um, if, because... if figuring that out is like, yeah, like trying to figure out who owns a certain like Bitcoin, like, like yeah. the, on the block, <laughs> yeah. what's the history of it? Where, where, <laughs> where, where, when was this first minted? Yeah. And all the transactions, like, uh, no, it's Cayman Islands, I'm guessing. Him, right? <laughs> yeah, that's actually where he was born. He's not legally allowed to play for Spain, um, but he is. I believe he is now a Atletico player through and through. Um, and he came back from a two-year loan at Juventus. But my surprise from the weekend is actually from earlier today. Alvaro Morata scoring two goals in his return back to La Liga, scoring two goals against Hatafe. Um, Hatafe, a team who only let in 41 goals last season. And of all of the bottom half teams, they were the team that conceded the least number of goals all season. And so it's not like Hatafe are aside that you can just play through that's i think <laughs> you and i i think very clearly know that maybe not everybody who watches hmm. la liga might know that no, might not know that um but they are very very much a team that you cannot play through and Kiki Sanchez flores has, has made sure of that in the last season but alvaro morata scoring two goals against Atafe today actually reminded me of something that i think could be really really important for atletico this season if you think back to last season rian when Alvaro Morata would play basically off of Lahovic, right? Um, when he came to Juventus, I believe it was early. Was it earlier this year? Like, I'm, I'm like my years are 
I'm losing track of. But <laughs> basically, at Juventus, when Vlahovic came and Morata was playing at Juve, Morata needed a focal point. Like he, we've kind of seen this in Spain, may not be the best out-and-out striker in the world. He is very good at certain things. He has a certain profile of getting into the right positions, but finishing, et cetera, maybe not the strongest um, of, of characteristics. What I saw today with Atletico was basically an Alvaro Morata that played off of Jao Felix. And you saw that really, really well in the first goal where Jao Felix basically played that straight through the middle of Hatafe's defense, like really, really yeah. quick, rapid interchange. Yeah, the Meg. And Alvaro Morata found a perfect shot. Like it was a beautiful shot um, to finish. And I think what surprised me the most, to come back to the original question, is not only the fact that Alvaro Morata scored two goals, but he's already developing a really, really strong partnership with Jao Felix on the field. And I think that's going to be absolutely crucial for Atletico this season. If they want to finish, obviously, probably second would be, like I think a pretty good season for them. Of course, they would want to win the league and then aspire to do that. But for right now, I think developing that partnership is really, really what gets them there. Yeah. As, as you were kind of talking through the Marata, I was honestly partially thinking about who, who did he play for Juventus last season? You were right. I was like, oh my gosh. Was like, <laughs> you know what? At any point in time in the last four years, if someone just picks a date, and tries to get you to guess which team he was on in that time. Yeah. <laughs> which team he was contractually obligated to at that time. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be a fun game. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But anyway, to your point, I do think that's a better – I like that partnership up top more than Joao Felix and Luis Suarez, as we saw last, last season, right? There's obviously a lot more dynamism to it. Now, you wonder if that kind of makes a couple – of the athletic attackers redundant like you know just thinking of maybe Mateus Cunha right now um who starting to see a bit of rumors of him potentially leaving um which would be quite disappointing because last season was his first season on the team yeah, correct yeah. so yeah and um and ha- have they been able to register Antoine Griezmann yet they have because he did score today. So ah, they at least they at least have that. Um, and that was his first goal since like November of last year. Yeah. So it's it's um I I really like the idea of uh of Draw Felix and, and Marata as the front two. Um when I speak about that redundancy there, I, I'm thinking of Griezmann and Felix are very similar players and you know, well, Atleti paid a hundred plus million euros for one of them, and one of them's still <laughs> it is early twenties. So if yeah. there's someone who's going to end up losing out between those two, it's probably going to be Antoine Griezmann. Um, so that it's an interesting wrinkle. I, I I'm interested to see how that partnership develops because they're both players that seem to play better when there's a second striker playing off. Yeah, them. yeah, exactly, exactly, and. Quite honestly, like, I, I really wish that we could see the best of Antoine Griezmann because if, if you think back to the World Cup year in 2018, like, he was one of the top three players in the world. And I don't I don't yeah. think there's, like, a real question about it. Um, so I do hope in some ways that we see the best of him, but I do think it will be difficult, especially if Ranta and Jean Felix develop that sort of chemistry that, that we're talking about. 
Uh, we shall see. And then we'll see what, what team he's on in 18 months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, Elias, what was that? That was your surprise. What disappointed you the most? Uh, yeah, I have to I have to bring it back home um, to to Barcelona, unfortunately. And it's not just the result of drawing Rio at home in the opening game of the season. I think there were a couple of things that disappointed me the most. One is actually starting with just the squad selection. I was disappointed to see our American friend, Sergino Des not even be selected for this game. Um, wasn't even on the bench. He was in the stands, did not dress. Chavi has made it really clear that he does not value Sergio Dest at, at right back, which is a shame because I think we both see real potential in his game, um, but clearly not in Xavi's plans. And I, that's just something we can't control, unfortunately. Um, that makes the need for a right back at Barcelona really, really crucial right now. So that, that was number one, leaving, leaving Dest out. Number two was keep in mind, Rio are a team that beat Barcelona twice last season not not draw like beat barcelona twice once at home and once away from home at the camp no so this so, is progress yeah this is yeah we're we're flipping the tide but the other thing that disappointed me about this is the recognition that xavi now actually has the worst win percentage as a barcelona manager um of all managers at barcelona now i'm not saying that this is like everyone be concerned whatever because Honestly, unless Barcelona like really drastically fall out of the top four by like, I don't know, beginning of next year, like Chavi's not going anywhere. Like he's just not. So that's not really a concern for me. The concern for me is more so how long does this team now need to really come together chemistry wise? We talked about how difficult it is to basically overhaul a squad, which is what Barcelona yeah. have done. Um, it's almost a brand new starting front three for example like if you count the fact that Dembele was not a Barcelona player for like a week in this this summer <laughs> um but those those sort of things really really do concern me and I was disappointed to see that Lewandowski did not score albeit he had a few good chances in this game this isn't a blame or you know throwing any shade his way it's more so just I, I wish that we could have seen it kind of in that in a spectacle of like kicking off the season kind of thing but the goals will come. The wins will come. Um, Barcelona have a very tough game at Anahueta against Real Sociedad next weekend. A team that very much needs to get back to winning ways after last season. So that's my disappointment, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and again, it's just week one. Um, it, I think something that uh, was interesting is that we saw both Dembele and Rafinha or... The Brazil, the Brazilian way of saying, I think it's Hafinha. Um, oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the Portuguese way of saying that R is like pronounced as an H. But anyway, the, <laughs> <laughs> you saw both of them starting on the wings this in this game and kind of switching a lot. Um, neither of them are really suited to play on the left wing. They're both more dominantly left footers, correct? Uh, I, I mean, Dembele can kind of go both both feet right but he had a lot of success last season on the right wing so it was interesting to me to see uh, and i don't know else you could tell better tell me better than and then i could tell anyone else um but Antufati didn't start on the left wing uh whether it's injuries or just kind of being very cautious with him right now which would make sense but i think the team makes a lot more sense 
going forward. Uh, and I think you'll see a lot more from the attack uh, when Fati is playing on that left side or Ferran Torres is coming on from the left there rather than uh, Dembele or Hafinha on that side. And, and then, you know, just gotta just have to mention it that when Frankie came in the game, when De Jong, Frankie De Jong came in, <laughs> the game changes from the midfield because the, I, I, one of the things that is always so impressive about him is his ability to like turn on the dime with the ball and just take these like two very, very quick touches to just spin a defender without uh not spin a defender when he's getting the ball played into him, but from a, from a standing point, just to do a quick twitch and find separation by uh, turning around and, and being able to drive the ball forward. And we saw him do that a lot. Um, a la Champions League semifinal with their quarterfinal, I guess it was with um, Modric, right? That famous yeah. kind of turn. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Like the, the ability to just create create separation from a standing start as a midfielder in the middle of the pitch. Like that's pretty valuable. Extremely valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, so I, I feel like we, if that's the, the team going forward, it's Fati slash Torres on the left and Frankie in one of those midfield three spots. Um, probably still Busquets playing as the holding midfielder for now. But uh, if that's what we see, then that then I like that team a lot more. Yeah. And really, the that's... team that started at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good call out. Um, the, the one question mark for me is just. I know this is Barcelona centric, but I don't know what happens with Jordi Alba this season. Like I very well could see him being replaced in the starting eleven. There, there's talk by Marcus even, Alonso, not by Marcus Alonso. Like anybody, well, who's the other option? <laughs> well, Marcus Alonso, first and foremost, is not a Barcelona player. But Balde, from yes. from a youth perspective, would be the only other option. I I genuinely prefer him over the other two right now, which is at the start of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back to what you say about Des too. Very, very disappointing. Especially when you consider they were ready to bring in Cesar Puliqueta to potentially take over from him. And I really hope some of these names that we are seeing them linked with at right back are lies. I hope that is just, I hope that is propaganda from these other players' agents. For my own sake. Yes, please. <laughs> God, anyway. Uh, well, finish it off, Elias. What, what are you looking forward to next weekend? Um, in terms of the La Liga schedule. Yeah. The, well, the game that I'm specifically most looking forward to is Atletico playing Villarreal next weekend. Villarreal coming off a massive, massive 3-0 win against Valladolid in which they quite honestly just outplayed them. Um, and I think this team is really, really clicking now. They've had basically the core of this team to stay together um, from last season, their famous Champions League run. And really the biggest question mark is, can they sustain a run in the league now? to make sure that they are a potential top four contender to potentially, again, take away that spot from Sevilla if they do drop out of the top four. And I think this is going to be a really, really big test for Villarreal. How do they fare against Atletico um, at the Metropolitano? Um, I think this is going to be really, really interesting because <laughs> as of right now, these two teams are first and second in the table. <laughs> <laughs> This is probably the only chance they'll get to say it. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. That's that's what I'm looking forward to most. All right. Well, Elise, if that's it from you, that's also it from me. Beautiful. Um, Wonderful. 170 down, um, 170 more to go, um, and hopefully more. 
But with that, of course, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next weekend talking everything after whatever happens in the United Liverpool game, whatever happens with Atletico Villarreal. We'll talk about it all next week. But um, you know, I realized I don't know what the Champions League draw is, and I really want to know what the Champions League draw is because I cannot wait for the Champions League to be back. So I'll look that Very up and maybe it. we'll I, talk about it next week. I, I I think there's still at least one more round of uh, yeah of yeah. Champions League playoff games. Yep. Yep, there definitely is. Uh, and I just realized, that I just looked it up. Champions League draw is Thursday, August 25th. That's what it is. Oh, beautiful. 10 days. 10 days next Thursday. So we'll talk. We'll probably talk about the following week. So anyway, all right, I'll wrap it up. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, guys.